Real Life Radio is sponsored by River City Community Church. Grace and peace to you and welcome to Real Life Radio with Pastor Sean Azaro of River City Community Church right here in San Antonio, Texas. A church that exists to help people just like you find the real life you were created for and then find it to the full. That's exactly what Jesus said in John 10.10. And we're in a series right now on awakening real faith with a message called Unseen, Filled by Faith. And while you listen, think about a need in your life right now. What will you need to empty or let go of in order to allow God to meet that need? Pastor Sean will start the teaching in 2 Kings. It's time for Real Life Radio. Unseen, awakening real faith. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 4. That's where we're going to end up. We're not going to be there right now. We're going to take a little roundabout path. But unseen, awakening real faith. The idea is that this faith of ours, faith to so many people is a confusing subject that they get kind of lost in the weeds on. Is it real? Is it just this kind of passive belief? Is it just, is it just a religious thing? What is faith? Now, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 6 and 7 says, So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we're away from the Lord. For we walk, listen, by faith, not by sight. And some people just go, okay, that's, that's weird. That's scary to me. I don't even know what that means because I walk around by sight. What does this mean to walk by faith? Hebrews 11.1 1 gives us a little bit of insight. It shines a light of understanding. It says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. It is that this unseen world, the spirit world, the spirit realm, God, the creator, all of it is very real, not physically visible real. In fact, Hebrews 11 tells us that all this that we see, this material world that we're so accustomed to, comes, it's not the original, it comes from the unseen. So the unseen becomes visible through a different kind of lens called faith. And remember, we talked about faith is a belief so strong, a conviction so strong, I have to act on it. Okay? It's not just this passive, oh, well, among my, you know, we, we live in a culture where belief and behaviors being at odds are really normal. I, I want to say um, <clears throat> that's a misnomer because your beliefs always dictate your behavior. Your true beliefs always dictate your behavior. Your stated beliefs may be at odds. And that's kind of something that's almost an epidemic through our culture. But your real beliefs always show in your behavior. Now, the problem when we talk about this unseen and this whole thing is that the issues we face in life are like, they are seen, okay? They're very visible, and they're right in front of me, and I'm having to confront them and deal with them all the time. Challenges, fears, needs. Think about it, real needs. You know, sometimes people, when, when told, you know, you need to pray about that need. Boy, that's a serious need. You, you should pray about it. It's like, I don't need prayer. I need something real. I hope by the end of this message, you'll have a different perspective. But we all have very real needs. and I mean, they come up all the time. It's something as simple as, boy, I really need a car. I can't get to work. I've, I've been there. I need some finances. I'm, I'm, I'm not making it. We're falling behind each and every month. I need a word of encouragement from somebody. I need some help. I need some wisdom. Whatever it is, those are real needs. And if I walk through this room and talk to every one of us, we could probably, you could tell me things that, yeah, I've I'm facing right now a real need. Things like loneliness and isolation. Do you know that's connected to a need? 
I need someone. Someone to talk to, someone to walk with, someone to do life with. How about failure? Failure, I need a second chance. I need a do-over. I want to not be defined by this failure. That's a need. Lack of resources. We talked about that. I need provision. I need financial help. I need something real. You know, insecurity? Insecurity is, I need affirmation and validation of my self-worth. And so I act out and I try to validate. And it manifests this insecurity. Drivenness. Any of you ever been called driven? Don't raise your hand. You do not have to raise <laughs> Every service, someone raises their hand anyway. It's like, I must purge. I am. Drivenness is a need to prove myself. I need to prove myself. I need to, to, whether it be to myself or to others, I need to perform. And the thing is, what do we typically do with these needs? Well, we worry. Okay? We worry. In fact, if you're taking notes, we've got note sheets in the bulletins where you've got an outline and things. Just write down the word worry. I want you to write down the word worry, because that's typically what we do with these needs. And that typically just makes them worse and seem more insurmountable and a heavier weight that we have to bear. Philippians 4.6 says this, and it's a very common passage of Scripture we quote a lot. It says, be anxious for nothing. Don't worry about anything, but by prayer, with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. Be anxious for nothing. And I look at that and just go, in the course of real life, real, visible worries, problems, needs, challenges, is that even possible? Well, I want to suggest to you the passage we're going to look at today from 2 Kings 4 will show us exactly how that is possible. And will show us how awakening real faith makes that passage of Scripture in Philippians 4. Be anxious, worry for nothing, makes it possible. Now, you remember last week we introduced this book of 2 Kings, and we introduced the prophet Elisha. We saw him receive his commissioning and even his anointing from his mentor, his father in the faith, Elijah. And we saw these are not good times. The kingdom is slipping. They're falling farther and farther from God. The leaders are not good. The times are not good. The people are actually not doing well. And in 2 Kings 4, we see one little instance of something that's happening among a woman who believes in the Lord. Beginning at verse 1, we read, Now the wife of one of the sons of prophet. You remember the sons of the prophets? They were just a group of prophets. The wife of one of the sons of the prophets cried to Elijah, Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord. But the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. And I just want to encourage us right now to take off our Bible reading lenses that we sometimes use, because it's like this historical thing, and we see these as little kind of fictitious stories and little moral lessons. I I want you to understand, um, this was written and presented as, this is a real person. This is not some kind of allegory. This is a person. This was a custom and a practice that actually happened. A woman without a means of support, who depended on her husband, her husband dies, She has no way to pay the debts. The creditor, under the law, had a right to come, take whatever he needed, including all she had, her two sons. I can't even relate to that. I've never had to face anything like that. I've had concerns. I've had issues, worries. It's never involved losing my children to a creditor. I mean, the closest thing I think we can even compare this to in modern history is during the Depression here in the U.S. where people had to 
farm out their kids. Maybe it was to family, but sometimes it was just to someone who could give them a job just so they could survive, so they could eat, because they couldn't feed their children. Can you imagine the torment? Can you imagine what that would be like? That's what this woman is going through. You think she's staying up at nights? You think she's losing sleep, worrying, crying herself to sleep, crying out to God? God, how could you let this happen? God, do you even hear me? Are you even there? How can you be real in a world that would allow this to happen? In wisdom, though, because she does have a faith in God, she goes to the man of God, the prophet Elisha. And Elisha said to her, verse 2, what shall I do for you? And then he says, tell me, what have you in the house? In other words, what do you, what do you have around the house? And she said, well, your servant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. And then he said, go outside, borrow vessels from all your neighbors. Empty vessels and not too few. Then go in and shut the door behind yourself and your sons and pour into all the vessels. When one is full, set it aside. So she went from him shut the door behind herself and her sons, and as she poured, they brought the vessels to her. So they went and got as many vessels as they could find, brought them in, did exactly as he said, shut the door. This wasn't advertised, this wasn't a big public thing. And they just began taking this little jar of oil, and they began to pour. When the vessels were full, she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there's not another vessel. Then the oil stopped flowing. She came and told the man of God and said, go, and he said, go, sell the oil and pay your debts and you and your sons can live on the rest. See, I love this passage because it shows God at work in impossible times, in impossible situations. Scripture says there is nothing impossible with God. And you have to understand, how do you think she felt knocking on the door, knowing the plan? Okay, she's already got the plan, the blueprint. The big plan to make all the, to, to solve my problem is go get a bunch of empty vessels and then pour the little bit of oil I have into them. And it's going to be awesome. Imagine how she felt pouring the first vessel into the empty jar. She said, this is all I got. I got this little thing, jar of oil. You know, and she's just, until she's done and it's full, and she, puts, and she realizes, wait a minute, this is still full. And it's at that moment she realized there's something different at work here. There's something that I have never seen. And boys, bring me another one. And they get, get another one. And she pours that one. And it's still full. And another, and another, and another. And however many she had until she asked, give me another. And they're like, that's all. And then the oil stopped flowing. It's just a regular bottle of oil again. Okay, first thing, don't you think she wished she got more, more jars? Okay, too little faith. See, this is a story of God miraculously by his power meeting needs. And I just want to say this is good news for us if we believe in the God of the Scriptures, if we believe that our God is an awesome God. Because we all have needs. I mean, stop and think about some of the needs that we talked about. Imagine God saying, oh, oh, what is it that you have? Okay, let's, let's, let's pour it in there until the need is met and there's more. This widow would tell us a secret she discovered. And if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Faith is the intersection between your need and God's supply. Faith is the intersection between your need 
and God's supply. Now, first thing I just want to point out, God has a supply. God has a supply. Philippians, again, chapter 4, he says, My God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory. He has a supply. Call it a storehouse, warehouse, whatever you want to call it. It's, call it spiritual. Call it, I, you know, I'm not going to try to metaphysically define it for you here today, okay? I'm just saying the scripture is crystal clear. God has a supply. And you're like, okay, but I have a need. The intersection between your need and God's supply is faith. That's what this woman would come. And she would shake every one of us to try to get us to understand what she's saying. And that does bring, understand something. This is interesting, and I want you to, I really want you to hear this. That makes us look at our needs differently, doesn't it? Think about it. I think of my needs typically as that's a problem. I have a need. It's a problem to be solved. And I don't like having problems. And I'm not happy about it. And it's an area of lack. And I'm uncomfortable in it. And I wish, just wish it could get solved and go away. That's how I've been trained to think of needs. What if needs are intentionally designed to draw us to God? What if our needs, that all along, God wanted an intimate, vibrant relationship with us, and one of the things he gave us to draw us to him was need? That would change it, wouldn't it? I would look at my needs differently from this point forward. Still not necessarily, I'm not in denial here. It's not pleasant. They can be uncomfortable. But they, be, they present an opportunity. Because faith is the intersection between your need and God's supply. Now, a couple things I want to point out on that before we get ready to wrap up here today. Um, in verse 3, Elisha made a statement. And I pointed it out when I read it. He says, go get yourself some vessels from your neighbors. And, and he says, empty vessels and not too few. That, that brings a couple of things to point uh, to the surface for us that I want us to look at. Number one, God can't fill what isn't empty. God can't fill what isn't empty. They obviously had to be empty jars. If they were full jars, it wouldn't have done any good. They had to be empty. And you're like, well, okay, duh. That's a very powerful principle. That is a very powerful understanding when you understand this walk of faith and how we are wired and how we don't like the whole empty thing. We like full. We want to be full. There's a powerful principle in Scripture. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. You've probably heard this passage. Apostle Paul is writing, he says, but he said to me, the Lord said to me, is what Paul is saying, he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. That's a problem. I don't like weakness. I don't like thinking of myself as weak. I want to present myself, I've been trained to present myself as competent, able, powerful, if you will. That whole idea of his grace is sufficient. And his strength is made perfect in weakness is a challenge. Because I want to think of myself as powerful. And here's the deal. If all you ever want to get is what you've already gotten, if all you ever want is human kind of best effort, then carry on. Because that's what you're getting and that's what you're able to produce. He's suggesting there is a different strength, a different power that is available. But to appropriate that, we must understand and willingly admit our areas of weakness. And we don't like to do that. We want to seem competent, sufficient. And, and it starts at the earliest age. My little granddaughter, Ryland, she's not two yet, okay? 
uh, we have a piano at the house, and, you know, we play piano. And uh, she, so she sits on my lap and plays the piano, and then I'll start playing a song with her, trying to make a little duet, and, you know, something wonderful. And she's okay for a second until she notices that, oh, that beautiful music, yeah, th- th- those are Pop's hands. And she immediately takes my hands and pushes them off the piano. 88 keys, dear, you got 10 fingers, you're really only using two. And quite frankly, Pops is better than you. I'm way better than her. She's not very good yet. I mean, a lot of pressure in our family, I'm just saying. <laughs> but she doesn't care. She's like, I got it. My deal. Any of us who've ever driven with our kids, you ever driven, had them on your lap, and let them pretend they're driving or something? Put your hands on that wheel. Mm, you know? That's the same thing we do with God. We, we, when it's a crisis, we cry out. But I'm just going through life when God's saying, I've got a better direction. Let, let, let me lead here. Let me do something amazing with your life. It's like, no, I got it, I got it, I got it. See, faith acknowledges my need acknowledges my need and my even my helplessness and that's not fun we don't like it we tend to hide our need our needs make us feel vulnerable so we hide them and we kind of puff up and try to pretend we're something else that is a devastating habit when it comes to the big pictures of life as god designed it listen in matthew chapter 9 10 through 13 this should make some of us uncomfortable uh while jesus was having dinner at matthew's house now you remember matthew okay he was a Jewish guy, like all Jesus' disciples were, okay, and like Jesus was. But he was a tax collector. And in that day and age, the tax collectors were not very popular because they were collecting taxes for the temple, but also for the Romans. And they were unsavory, and it was not always honest, and they just were the bad sort of people. They hung around with bad sort of people. It's not a good thing, okay? So Jesus having dinner at Matthew's house, and we're told many other tax collectors, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with, he, with him and his disciples. Now, when the Pharisees, who were the religious cream of the crop, they were the most righteous, the, they just ask any of them, they'll tell you how great they were, okay? But they were, they were the respected, they were the top of the religious heap, they were the ones who got to set the tone. When the Pharisees saw this, saw Jesus having dinner at this unsavory house with these unsavory people, When they saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And then he says this, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. If you want to be filled with the presence of God, if you want the gifts that God created, if you want the life God created for you, you're going to have to say, Lord, without you, I'm sick. And Lord, I'm a sinner. And that's the part that's a problem. Because we don't like that. We like, sometimes uncomfortably like the Pharisees, self-righteousness. I can do it myself. I'm not too bad. I'm better than them. And we can tend to find examples and we find people who go, yeah, look how much better I am than them. Right? God, notice me. And it's like, yeah, that's not the standard. This isn't some sort of competition. It's not grading on a curve. This is about God wanting to do something that only God can do and make us truly clean and righteous and fruit-bearing in our lives. See, I can't be full of myself and full of him. I have to choose. As long as I think I've got it handled, I will be keeping God out. So God can't fill what isn't empty. Now, you go, okay, practically, what does that mean? Well, how do I kind of empty myself or empty the areas of my life that God needs to fill? Well, 
it's hard to say, except let me give you a conf- what I would call a confession of emptiness that I jotted down. Confession of emptiness, just a prayer that would reflect the heart moving towards emptying out before the Lord and allowing him to fill. Simply this, Lord, I can't do this on my own. My way can never yield the kind of fruit that you want to bring in my life. I'm tired, and I'm through trying to do this on my own. I need you. I surrender to your plan. That's the heart of emptiness. Remember, faith is the intersection between your need and God's supply. Before I can have God's supply, I have to recognize my own need. Second thing, not only can God not fill what isn't empty, God can't fill what isn't available. God can't fill what isn't available. The only jars that got filled were the ones that were made available. Okay? There were only so many jars that they got, and those were the only ones that got filled. When they ran out of jars, the oil dried up. That was what we saw. So my question to us, very simply, what areas are off-limits to God? Think about it. As we sit here in a Christian church, and many of us devout followers of Jesus, are there areas of our lives that we say, okay, yeah, God, I'm willing to give this, I'm willing to engage with you here, I'm willing to invite your word and your spirit into my life in this area, but not over here, not over here. And chances are, God's going to keep bringing us round and round to where we deal with that area because to the degree that we keep areas off limits to God, we keep him at arm's length and we will never experience the life we were created for and the gift that he intended to give us through his spirit. Romans 12.1 kind of says what we're supposed to make available, okay? And it lays it out pretty bluntly for us. Paul says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So yeah, pretty much all of me. That is our true sacrifice of worship. And God wants to take that and multiply it and do something beautiful with it. A great example of that is Peter when he literally kind of offers his body. You remember the disciples were in a boat and they saw Jesus walking on the water. And this was not normal. Okay? I don't think I need to say that, but for those of you who are like, well, what's the problem? It's Jesus. They'd never seen Jesus walk on the water yet. This is the first time. And they're in this boat, and they're freaking out. It says they thought he was a ghost. And then they're like, no, that's not a ghost. That's Jesus. And so, Jesus immediately says to them, because they're screaming out about the ghost, and da 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 he says, take courage. It is I. It's me. Don't be afraid. And listen to this. This is where the story gets a little twist. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Can you imagine the other disciples at that moment just looking at them like, what is wrong with you? It's crazy enough that we're looking at Jesus and we're having a conversation and there's a storm and he's out on the water. You're saying, if it's you, tell me to come. And, you know, and they're just looking at him like he's nuts. And Jesus, I can almost see Jesus just get a little smirk. Come on. Scripture says, come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat. He walked on water and came toward Jesus. Amazing moment. The other disciples are like, oh my gosh, look at Peter. That's so crazy. But when he, Peter, saw the wind, because it was a stormy night. Another translation says he saw the wind and the waves, because it was rough water. He was afraid. And immediately he began to sink. And he cried out, Lord, save me! Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? 
And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down, and those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. The, find that I part, the part of this that I find disturbing is Peter, who literally threw his body out and said, I'll come out with you, Jesus. I believe you. He's called you of little faith. Why did you doubt? This is the guy who got out of the boat. I mean, don't the, the others are sitting there, and they're not like hoping Jesus doesn't look at them. Just gonna, I don't even want to hear what he's going to say to me. Oh, you, a little, oh little, you have a little faith. Why did you doubt? What's he really trying to say? Peter, you walked on water because you looked at me, you trusted me. Don't take your eyes off me because it'll kill your faith. Peter offering himself, making himself available, and because of that, he experienced an unbelievable, noteworthy miracle right there. And of course, ultimately, we know God used him to change the world. Thank you, Pastor Sean Azaro. You've been listening to Real Life Radio in this series called Unseen, Awakening Real Faith. And if you'd like to hear the full unedited message and this series, it's available right now when you find the sermons link at reallife.org. But of course, you're invited to come and visit us at River City Community Church, located on Lookout Road, right behind Rotama Park. You can find the details, directions, and service times also at reallife.org. If you'd like to call the church, the number is 210-490-5262. As Real Life Radio is a service of River City Community Church, we hope you join us again next time for more Real Life. Do you ever look at your life and feel like you were made for something more? Jesus made a simple statement. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came to give you abundant life, real life. River City is located a mile and a half outside of Loop 1604 on Lookout Road across from Otama Park. Service times are Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 9.30 and 11.15 a.m. River City is a church for real life, so our home on the web is reallife.org. To find out more, visit us online at reallife.org. God created you for something very special. Come find out more at River City Community Church. 